Hello and welcome to this week's White Football Podcast with me, Echezadoku, and Michael Dryden. How are you, Dryden? I'm grand. I'm back in Sunland, so we're recording uh, remotely. Um, it's, it's back in lockdown up here, so it was great timing. Uh, coming back from my brother's 30th. Um, and aside from that, it's game week two in the Fantasy Premier League. And so, Eches, who have you captained this week? I mean, when this goes out, the game week would have finished. However, there's a massive debate over Salah or Aubameyang this week. Uh, so I captained uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, shout out to Adrian Aubameyang. That's how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, we actually watched the video to confirm it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I picked him because West Ham, uh, you know, in the gutter a little bit. Um, and I think, and you know, at home today, we will steamroll them. So I think Abemi Yong is a, is a good shout. So yeah, that's what I picked. Who did you go for, Droids? I went for the bold um, shout of picking Egyptian forward Mohamed Salah this week. Um, partly because Fulham, the Fulham game... Arsenal dominated, played really well. I don't think Aubameyang got too many clear-cut chances. I found he was out wide quite a lot. I know this game's at the Emirates, and obviously Aubameyang did score that unbelievable finish with the one decent chance he did get. But after Salah's performance, in a game where Liverpool didn't actually you know, dominate the whole game, he scored a hat-trick, and I can just see Kepe getting sent for one or two hot dogs this week. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, um, the FPL has kind of taken over my life. Um, we've got a competition out. Thanks for all who have joined the league. Um, you will win a Euro 2021 shirt of your choosing, should you come in first place. And if you come in last place, you'll get a lovely photo of Eches signed by the man himself. Um, so on that note, how are you, Eches? Yeah, I'd just like to point out the resale value of that photo on eBay, um, you know, any sort of online retailer, it will sell for the hundreds, maybe the thousands. So if you want to auction it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, mate. Um, it's good to return to our normal format. You know, the last two pods you've had interviews with really interesting people. Um, obviously, Callum and uh, Lee Scott himself, which is great. Mentioned the AFC game earlier, buzzing for that to see our first game at home. And also interested to see how the transfer window ends. You know, You know Liverpool, right? So Liverpool kind of, you wake up, you know, you drink some coffee, do some work. 7am, like Sky Sports announced Liverpool in negotiations with a player. 9am he signed. It's like, <laughs> you don't hear anything about them linked to the player for weeks and months. And suddenly it's happened. I remember last night, Diego Jota is now rumoured to be signing. But the rumours came out like maybe two or three hours prior. And yep. then suddenly now he's on the verge of joining. So their recruitment team and setup is like brilliant. I don't know how they do it. You know, it's, it's really is good. Whereas on the flip side, if you look at Arsenal, they, I mean, someone in the club must, be, <laughs> must just be leaking everything because they've got the links and the rumours. I know it's just because it's Arsenal and they've always been in a massive squad. There's been like a massive squad building exercise for a while or everyone's expected that. Whereas at Liverpool, obviously they've, they've Liverpool have been so dominant the last couple of years that they've, no one's expecting them or, you know, it's, it's not necessity for them to build. Um, maybe that's why there's less speculation. This week, Dryden will be telling us all about Slavan Bilic, his time as a player, his managerial career to date, and we'll discuss whether the gap between the championship is continuing to widen. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast for immediate access to future episodes. So Dryden, why have you picked this topic in particular? 
So amid all the hysteria around Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa, Bielsa rightly so, um, because of the football that Leeds play um, and how revered Bielsa is. But I thought I'd shine some light on West Brom. They obviously also got promoted last season. They finished second um, on 83 points, so somewhat behind, somewhere behind Leeds um, and did stumble over the line um, in the end, winning only once in the last five games. The last season in the Premier League was in 2017 and 18, where they only won six times, um, with interestingly three of those coming in the last five games under Darren uh, Moore. So you, you see the sort of season they had there and the rebuilding process that they've had to go through to get back to where they are now. Um, they've been very much seen as a yo-yo club between the Championship uh, and the Premier League. So I've always wondered, or I've wondered in the last sort of six months or so, if Bullish can book that trend. He had a largely successful spell as West Ham manager and he's got West Brom promoted in his first season. So I thought I'd focus on him. Yeah, whenever Alan Pardew is mentioned, the first thing I think of is that ridiculous dance he did. Uh, you know, when, Man United, when they took the lead against Man United in the FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who scored the goal, but he, he just dropped a few steps. And the thing is, it's one of those, if, if they'd won, that celebration he remembered forever. Instead, it's like, it's an egg on face moment, isn't it? It's like... Uh, <laughs> kind of regret that. And then um, m- moving on to Darren Moore, he did really well at West Brom for the short time he was there. He was unfortunate uh, to lose his job. I believe he's now at Doncaster, who actually have Tyrese John Jules from Arsenal, meant to be you know, one of the best, if not the best, uh, player in our academy system. So good luck to him this season. Mm, yeah, Moore, Moore actually replaced uh, Alan Pardew, who won only 14.3% of his 21 games in charge. So not a great spell for Allen. And I recall when Pardew was at Newcastle United, he was there for a while, obviously on that massive, what was it, eight-year contract, 10-year contract that he was given <laughs> by Mike Ashley. Mm. Um, he's, in, the, in the Derby game against Sunderland, he, they scored and it was disallowed. He started like fist-pumping, like, he started like aggressively fist-pumping because they'd scored and then it got disallowed and this it, camera cut to him just looking absolutely gutted. And it was just, it was beautiful. So he wasn't fist pumping anymore, just to be clear? No, absolutely not. Okay, fine, just making sure. <laughs> so what about Bilic's early days? How did he actually start out? So Slavin Bilic was born and raised in Split in Croatia. Um, people might know that because it's got a well-known airport. He performed very well in high school, actually, and went on to graduate from law school in Split, where his dad was actually the dean. As many will know, Bilic had a good playing career, mostly in the 1990s. His entire youth career was at Hajduk Split um, until 1988, where he was loaned out domestically um, on a couple of occasions. Village was a tall, combatant centre-back and went on to make 109 appearances for Hajduk, scoring 13 goals. He then spent three seasons in Germany at Karlsruhe before signing for Harry Redknapp's West Ham for £1.3 million in January 1996. Their then record transfer fee, interestingly. He then joined Everton in 1997 for £4.5 million, but his second season was plagued with injury and he was released by the Toffees in July 1999. He is probably most remembered as a player for his part in Croatia's 1998 World Cup semi-final uh, team. That team lost to host France 2-1. Croatia took third place, beating the Netherlands 2-1. Overall, he earned 44 caps for Croatia between 92 and 99, scoring three times. Is um, Split 
where I lost my phone on holiday. We went to that festival and I picked it up. If you go to Fresh Island Festival or you go to Hideout Festival or Sonar Festival, you fly yeah. to Split and then you travel to one of the like one of the islands. Um, that's why it's quite well known. Oh, good. Very nice airport. The staff were just not helpful at all. Mm. Took me like an hour to find my phone, but I found it in the end. But moving <laughs> back on to, um, <laughs> just in case anyone is wondering what happened to my phone. Um, yeah. But interesting for a CB to be a record signing uh, all the way back then. Yeah. You know, in more recent times, we've had uh, VVD at Liverpool and Maguire, you know, who were also record fees to their clubs to a varying degree of success, uh, especially with the latter compared to the former. Yeah, yeah it was really interesting. Yeah, it came at a time, obviously, when the Premier League started. So there would have been an influx of money. So you'd think that a lot of clubs in, that, in the 90s or would just continue to break their own records. And it's happening now as you would have seen um, across the Premier League, close break on the run records because of uh, the inflated prices. Um, he scored 13 goals in 109 appearances for Hadjuk, which is quite a decent return for, for a centre-back. Um, but you're right, a, a, a record signing um, to go into a centre uh, for a centre-back role is is bold, especially coming from directly from Croatia. So unproven in kind of mm. um, in a better league, so to speak, or a top five league in, in Europe. So what about Bilic's managerial career? Bilic began his managerial career at Hajduk Split in 2001, going on to coach Croatia's under-21s in 2004, and then he became the national team manager in 2006. He replaced Zlato Kranchar, father of Portsmouth and Spurs legend Nico Kranchar, after a poor 2006 World Cup. Bilic immediately promoted Eduardo, Luka Modric and Vedran Koluka, all well-known faces from the under-21 squad, to the senior side. Um, we all know them very well, and particularly Luca. At the beginning of Euro 2008 qualification, he actually suspended Dario Serna, Evika Olic, and Bosako Balaban after they attended a nightclub in Split, um, which is a bold move given that these were particularly, well, Olic and Serna, particularly senior players um, for the team, some of the better players. So clearly, Bilic uh, prioritizes discipline in his ranks. Yeah, I was always a big fan of Olic during his Bayern days. Always seemed to pop up with a really mm. crucial goal. But clearly, what are they thinking? <laughs> like, like going to a nightclub? Like, um, what? what I read on this was that they would have got away with it, um, but apparently there was like uh, it was like it got held up. It was like the basically there was like a shooting incident at the nightclub, and so it was in the press, and so oh, yeah. they had nothing to do with it, but. It was in the press, and then sort of someone found out that oh yeah, Olic and Balaban and Serna were there. <laughs> so that's how it got found out. Oh, fair play, that's unfortunate for them. On a Modric, it still makes me laugh that he was once voted uh, the worst La Liga signing during his uh, first season at Madrid. Something like eight or so years later, you know, they really have regretted that uh, well, title. Yeah, he's won so La Liga. He's won. I think he's won La Liga with with Real. I'm pretty sure he's won four Champions Leagues. Yeah. So, and he won the Ballon d'Or. So, I mean, yeah. they very much will need to be reassessing that. Whoever um, voted for that, or whoever brought that award in. Um, overall, the Europe, the qualification for Euro 2008 was a success, with Croatia securing a spot at the tournament at the expense of England, who they beat home and away. Everyone remember that game at Wembley. Um, Croatia went two 0 up in the first half through uh, Nico Kranchar and Olic, um, with Lampard and Crouch leveling the scoring before that infamous goal by Mladen Petric, which sunk English hearts. I remember being absolutely devastated. 
Um, and no one was more devastated than the Wally in the Wally with the Broly, Steve McLaren. Um, and that was an England team that still had the likes of Saul Campbell, Gareth Barry, Joe Cole, Gerard Lampard. They were all starting that game. Beckham, Defoe and Bent were on the bench and came on. You know, it's a good side or seemingly a good side full of good individuals. Croatia went on to top the qualifying group ahead of Russia, losing only once um, away to Macedonia, making Bilic uh, the youngest coach at Euro 2008. Croatia went on to win all three of their group games, including an impressive 2-1 win over eventual finalist Germany. Disappointingly, though, they actually went out to Turkey in the quarterfinals uh, with Bilic declaring the result would haunt us for the rest of our lives. <laughs> so you can perhaps see how emotive Bilic can be um, and very, very dramatic statement there. Croatia failed to qualify for the 2010 World Cup um, with England actually avenging the, the Euro qualification to finish top, beating Croatia, I think it was 5-1 in that, uh, that build-up. Croatia qualified for Euro 2012 by the playoffs with Bilic still in charge, um, but failed to qualify from a tough group that included the Republic of Ireland, Italy and eventual winners, Spain. Following the tournament, Bilic left Croatia in 2012 um, on positive terms and had relatively unsuccessful spells at Lokomotiv Moscow and Besiktas before joining West Ham in June 2015. His first season in England was excellent, finishing seventh and recording victories at the Emirates, Anfield and Etihad. And the Etihad, only fourth, only the fourth team to achieve this in a single Premier League season. And they actually did so successively. So it was, a, it was three away games in a row. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of noticed throughout this pod that you've mm, really beautiful. upped your, your stats game. So I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to <laughs> rename you Opta Dryden. You've you've elevated. <laughs> you've reached new heights, Dryden. Well done. Um going back to McLaren, uh, obviously his England spell was a disaster. You can't really put it any other way, but he did gain some credibility back winning the Eredivisie with twenty. So he made a bit of a mini comeback and he adopted yeah. that weird accent, I was about, I was which about, he started playing on. Yeah, he's first. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did win the Eredivisie, didn't he? I forgot about that. But he, his first press conference when he's like, yeah, he did. I, I'm not going to try and do a, a Dutch accent on on <laughs> podcast. I'll send Good. It. Um, Good. But that was hilarious. It was so Good funny. Um, but yeah, for England, he he didn't do too well. But he's, he's a renowned coach. So like on the training ground, he's renowned as being someone who's, um, in terms of his coaching ability, is very good. But seemingly... Um, as manager, he's, he has had a few flops at Derby, at Middlesbrough, um, and obviously for England. So it's interesting. Um, going back to Billich, um, West Ham team that beat Arsenal. I remember that game very well, 2-0 at the Emirates. And it was one that I remember well because Reese Oxford started, um, a 16-year-old Reese Oxford, who was touted as being one of the, the brightest um, young English stars to be coming through that time. And he played he played brilliantly alongside the likes of Sacco, Tiafra Sacco, Dimitri Payet, Kuyate, um, of course, Mark Noble, <laughs> the ever present Mark Noble, um, Creswell, Ogbonna, Winston Reed, Adrian. It was quite a good side they put together. But eventually, Bilic was sacked in November 2017. Club stating West Ham United believe a change is now necessary necessary in order for the club to move forward positively and in line with their ambition. Hence why they now have David Moyes, I presume. <laughs> um, he then went on to Al-Itihad before being sacked from there and returned to England with West Brom in June 2019. I mean, West Ham are just such a shoddy, directionless club. 
you know, highlighted just then by your, you know, the managerial choices. We, we did leave out Manuel Pellegrini in between, who I did actually champion. I thought he was a good fit. I think he went from obviously Moyes to true. then Pellegrini back to Moyes. And that just highlights just how just useless they are collectively. I mean, I supported the decision to hire Pellegrini, but unfortunately that backfired probably worse than when Lund signed your record signing, Didier Ndong. Sunderland, yeah, um, record signing. Mm, yeah. There's, there's a story, and it could be rubbish, probably started by some Newcastle fan somewhere, um, that Lille, was it Lille? Was it Rons? Um, they thought that someone had made a mistake when they sent across the the the, the, cor- the correspondence to say they thought they put like a, a decimal point in the wrong place or something when they made the offer. It was like thirteen million. It was a record signing, and he's. I think he, I don't think we actually received a fee from him when he left, and yeah, it was poor. So uh, tell us about West Brom. How have they fared under Billich? So as I mentioned, West Brom finished on eighty three points last season, um, just two ahead of Brentford and eventual playoff winners Fulham. Uh, Matos Pereira topped the championship assist charts with 17 assists. Yeah, so up to Dryden. Um, is he worth a fancy football punt? So he was in my first draft that I made, um, but then I noticed they had quite a difficult start. Obviously, they lost 3-0 to Leicester. They play against um, Everton today. Kicks off very shortly, actually, um, which is obviously a tough game. They started very well against Spurs. Um, so I thought if it's six million on fantasy, that I would keep him out my team, but 17 assists last season. I think it's three, it's like four or five ahead of the the the, um, the player that came in second in those charts. So it's a very good return. And in terms of goals, he chipped in as well with with eight. So eight goals, 17 assists. He's definitely worth a show at on fantasy. Just just putting that out there. Um, overall, West Brom in terms of goals, the highest scorers were Charlie Austin and Hal Robson Carnu on 10 apiece last season. So. You've got to say it's very much the goals seemingly come across the side. We've mentioned Pereira. We've also got Camille Graziski and Grady Diangana, um, both of which also chipped in with eight goals. Um, Billich's most used system last season was a four-two-three-one system with Hal, typically with Hal Robson Carnu leading the line. Um, the Mercurial matches Pereira. Thought I'd just bring that one in there, sitting behind. Um, with Matt Phillips and Grady Diangana either side or interchanging. Um, Grady actually made a permanent switch in the window, sparking the uh, the Mark Noble tweet um, to West, basically to the West Ham board saying he's gutted and he thinks it's a disgrace, which I find crazy that your club captain is tweeting saying how gutted he is that a player has left and seemingly undermining the decision of the club. It wasn't just him, it was Jack Wilshire as well. He said, um, best of luck or something, go to a club that appreciates you. You can't be saying well, they don't, that they don't, they don't, on, on social they media. They don't appreciate Wilshire. He's about to have his contract <laughs> ripped up. <laughs> yeah, he's probably a bit better yeah. on that one. And also, I think, uh, you know, I think this is our 18th episode. Uh, I'm not too sure on that one. Uh, we need to start a fund for every time you say the word mercurial, we donate £2 to a designated charity. Because I, I think that way, you know, we'll build up quite a lot of money. I still have no idea what it means. <laughs> I feel like I know how to use it, but I have no idea what it means. <laughs> <laughs> that's good then it's positive <laughs> um, yeah so the the four two three one system that I mentioned um, with West Brom is a system that he often opted for at West Ham um, whenever he'd start with wide players such as Stuart Downing or Matt Jarvis um, two very kind of forgettable players there who used to be mainstays in the Premier League um, he tended to switch between that and a four three one two at West Ham so that game I mentioned where West Ham won 2-0 against Arsenal 
They play with a 4-3-1-2 with Jafra Saka and Mauro Zarate up top. But they also had Enna Valencia and I believe Andy Carroll at the time amongst their ranks to come in there to fill up that, them two spots. Um, typically, you'd have Creswell and then the right back providing the wide options uh, for, for a stage that right back was. Um, the not so very mercurial Carl Jenkinson. Carl Jenkinson. Yeah, we signed Jenkinson from, I believe, Welling United for one million. And he was really average. Uh, he's an Arsenal fan, though, so fair play to him. Um, on Stuart Downing, have you seen his um, Liverpool goals and highlights video? I have not. So basically what it is, is I think his first season in Liverpool, he got he didn't have any goals or assists. So the video starts off with a picture of Stuart Downing. And you know that like the typical YouTube music uh, football oh, montages yeah. with like a techno. <laughs> It basically just shows it just shows a black screen for ten minutes. <laughs> it's actually quite jokes. I'll send it to you after this, but um, if you haven't watched it, it's quite a good laugh, even though I've ruined it now. Yeah, you've absolutely but, ruined um, it. Yeah, good. Well, actually, on on uh, Stuart Downing, um, this might reveal how sad I am. But when I was doing my fantasy team, um, I was looking at the goals and assists in the championship last season, and actually, Stuart Downing was the highest assisting defender last season in his converted wingback role for Blackburn. So a bit of interesting stats there, but obviously he's not in the, in the Premier League, so it's pretty irrelevant. Um, so, so yeah, so for West Brom, in that kind of 4-2-3-1 that um, Bilic has been implementing, behind the, the attackers, you would typically find hard-working midfield players, uh, such as Jake Livermore and Romain Sawyers, both both technically good with their feet, but seen as more industrious players to provide that kind of cover in front of the, um, the rest of the midfield who are very much attacking. So both these players would typically sit deeper allowing that attacking quartet to move forward. At the back, Semi Ajayi and Kyle Bartley were mainstays um, at centre-back with Kieran Gibbs at left-back and Nathan Ferguson um, on loan from Palace last season. On the right, Ferguson is now back at Palace and hoping to get a look in this season. In their opening fixture against Leicester, however, Bilic included Dara O'Shea to, introduce, to produce a back five with Darnell Furlong replacing Ferguson and Pereira shifting to the right um, and Callum Robson leading the line to form a kind of 5-4-1 or a 3-4-3, depending on how you look at that. Up top, the Baggies also have Kenneth Zahore and Charlie Austin. In the EFL Cup, Bilic opted for a 4-4-2. Um, so he's got a few options there to switch between. Um, but as I said, he does favour that 4-2-3-1, which I think he will implement, particularly when um, Matt Phillips returns. So to finish on, Jez, do we think the gap is widening between the Championship and the Premier League is kind of something that both of which came to mind when when looking at this topic. Um, in terms of the latter, in 2019, the average revenue from broadcasting for non-relegated Premier League clubs was around £111 million. For the Championship, the average revenue from broadcasting from clubs not receiving parachute payments is around £5 million. So the gulf in revenue um, from broadcasting, which does make up wow. the bulk, I should say, of any club's revenue, or particularly in the Premier League. Revenue is small for these championship clubs, but also the carrot on the end of the stick for getting promoted is so huge. So clubs and owners in the championship and at the bottom of the Premier League are therefore spending huge sums in pursuit of that revenue. So in the championship in 2019, the wage to turnover ratio was 107%. Um, and when Sheffield United and Aston Villa gained promotion, they each had um, a a wage to turnover ratio of 181% and 190% respectively, which is crazy. Up to drone. You're in absolute form today. (laughs) 
can't you can't be stopped. <laughs> but, um, you make a really good point. It highlights how aggressive these clubs are in their pursuit to reach the Premier League. I think um, I read an article looking at Alan Sugar's time as chairman or uh, you know uh, owner of Tottenham, one of the one of the two, and he said that you know you can't run a football club like a normal business because it's nearly impossible. The demand is so great for success, it means you have to stretch way beyond your means in order to reach those goals. You know, it's very easy for maybe City now, Liverpool, Chelsea, even Man United to kind of just rest on their laurels in terms of overstretching themselves because they have a certain degree of success already. But for those other clubs striving to reach the Premier League, the the Champions League, Europa League, they really do have to push to uncomfortable levels in order to get there. Mm, Definitely. I mean, we've talked at length before about a European Super League and clubs wanting to branch off at the elite level into closed leagues to protect their investment. And yes, a relegation promotion is just a headache for owners and investors. Um, so could could we see a closed Premier League in the future? It's been talked about before um, as a reason why many American owners have failed in the Premier League, such as Randy Lerner and previous, Sun, um, previous Sunderland chairman and owner Ellis Short, because the US major leagues are all closed off. So for for an investor coming here, I mean, you've got you've got investors like the Fenway um, Sports Group who own Liverpool have done it tremendously well. But in the US, you don't have this relegation, this like kind of idea that you could actually your revenue could drop so suddenly and by such a huge amount overnight. From an investor standpoint, you could seek to lose, you could seek to gain so much, but you could seek to lose so much so quickly. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think it's one of those where these, I, I don't think that would actually happen that you know would see a closed off league I don't think obviously there are loads of players that would want that but I think the football league's been around too long for it to happen mm. but with football you never truly know do you? Yeah no from a relegation standpoint we saw Bournemouth um, who were relegated uh, last season whose budget was stretched so much that they've had to offload almost all their talent um, whereas someone like Watford who haven't done so have managed to retain their stars but if you look, someone like Watford's team now compared to the rest of the league is absolutely crazy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look at the list of Premier League clubs relegated over the years, you can just see the players that have left those clubs and how valuable they were to those teams. So Pickford, Fabianski, Shakiri, Rondon, Wilson, Ake um, are all good examples of players leaving those clubs, making an immediate return uh, quite difficult. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, you mentioned Watford just then, Norwich, another example mm. as well. It would be interesting final few weeks of the window how those squads shape up for the rest yeah, of the it season makes you think is it going to be a, a, a kind of an ongoing theme that relegated clubs from the Premier League are just the ones who are vying for promotion the seasons after if they're getting parachute payments and they manage to retain their stars who arguably are so much better now at the bottom with bottom bottom half Premier League teams buying from say top six Bundesliga teams for example people like Sebastian Haller coming touted as uh, upcoming stars in Bundesliga going to something like West Ham for example that's all from us. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore on Twitter. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast for immediate access to future episodes. Cheers, guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Thank you.